Good morning. Please do turn to Matthew 5 and verse 1 to 7. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 to 7. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We considering this morning, beginning to consider the fifth beatitude, considered four so far, and we're running through the Sermon on the Mount, and the introduction to that sermon is what is called the Beatitudes. And we observed that the Beatitudes are not steps to salvation. They are virtues, they are characteristics of those that are saved. They challenge us to examine our salvation by investigating ourselves in how we align or conform to these characteristics. They are given to us not to tell us that if we do this then we'll become saved, but to challenge us that this is how those who are saved live like. In that context, they are obviously a call to salvation, but they are not a method of salvation. In a prayer meeting, a man stood up and prayed. Not a prayer meeting, this is somebody giving a testimony relating to acts of mercy. Lord, send justice. All we need is justice. Please give us justice. Then another man stood up and prayed, Please don't, Lord. Give us mercy. We need mercy, not justice. Scripture plainly teaches that it is God's mercy that he has given with his grace that we should be thankful for. If we ask that God would judge us today, based on our works, what we do, many of us will probably end up being punished. So there is a sense in which both prayers or both petitions are right, but I'm not sure like this other person I'll be so emphatic in pleading for justice. I would be pleading for mercy. Show us mercy. You do just pass judgment. You are just. But if your justice or your judgment was to come today without mercy, without grace, no one would be spared. Showing mercy is a noble, godly Christian practice 
deserving serious consideration and will do so by answering four questions. Showing mercy is a noble, godly Christian practice deserving serious consideration and we will do so by answering four questions. Probably not finish all the questions this morning, but here are the questions we will seek to answer in opening up verse 7 of Matthew chapter 5. What was the Lord teaching? And not teaching in this particular beatitude. When the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 7 says to the disciples, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. What was he teaching the disciples? What is he teaching us? And what is it that is not a teaching? What is he affirming we must do? And what is he saying we must not do? What is he saying we must understand in that statement and live by that? And what is it that he's saying this is not what I'm asking you to do? Second question, what is the thrust of this beatitude in contrast to the previous four? What is the thrust of this beatitude in contrast to the previous four? The third question is obviously a question of definition. What is mercy? What is mercy? And the last and fourth question, as in the text, is a question of the future, but regarding the promise. What is the condition of promise God gives in this beatitude? And to whom? What is the condition of promise that God gives in this beatitude and to whom? The first question then. What was the Lord Jesus Christ teaching and not teaching in this particular beatitude? Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Jesus in this beatitude in this text was and is not teaching salvation by works. Jesus Christ in that text is not teaching salvation by works. The teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ in this beatitude is clearly that mercy will be and is received only by those who give mercy. Negatively, He's not teaching salvation by works and will say a little more. Positively, here is what he's emphasizing. That if in the context of the text, you do not show mercy, you do not give mercy, the text says you will not receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The teaching of the Lord, as I've indicated, is that Christ in this beatitude is clearly teaching that mercy will be 
and is received in the context of the verse only by those who give it. But the implication of the Lord's teaching in this beatitude is not that our giving of mess to others is the primary cause, the ultimate condition of our receiving mercy from God ourselves. It is not because we work that Christ then is made to give us mercy. It is not because we labor so hard in works of charity that God says you're doing well, there is salvation for you now. That's not what the text is teaching. Salvation is not by works. We do not earn salvation. That's what other religions teach. Christianity, evangelical Christianity, does not teach salvation by works. The Apostle Paul is very clear. It is all a gift and all by grace and therefore no one can boast. So when we read, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy, the Lord Jesus Christ is not saying that unless you do works of mercy or charity, unless you forgive others, you won't be forgiven because this is the way you are saved. That's not what the text is saying. Before dealing with the apparent problem, the beatitude poses, let us observe that this language is used elsewhere by Jesus Christ. This same language is used elsewhere by the Lord Jesus Christ. In the same Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 12. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 12. The context of the Lord's Prayer, but still in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, and here is what we read. And the prayer was just recited for us by the children. Give us this day our daily bread, Acts verse 11, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Verse 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It's the same language. You will be forgiven your trespasses as you forgive others their trespasses. But those verses 14 and 15 are not teaching that our forgiving others is the primary cause of God forgiving our sins. God is not saying, if you are to be saved, here is where we begin. We begin on you first forgiving other people. Only when that is done will I then forgive you. We are at no stage before salvation have the ability to forgive as God would say, well done. So that text in the Lord's Prayer, those words, but for, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. 
that text also does emphasize that those who can claim, those who can look and do look to God's forgiveness, are those who themselves as well do practice forgiveness. But if their forgiveness is not the cause of their salvation. It's at this point we need to reduce it to some vernacular language. Because you cannot therefore say, because that's why I'm saved. That's not the argument of the scriptures. But here's what the scriptures are saying that if you do not forgive, that's your lifestyle. Anyone who offends you, you just look at them and say, I will deal with them. Even when they plead forgiveness, you do not forgive. The scriptures will ask, will check whether you yourself have actually experienced forgiveness. That's the thrust of the two passages. What Jesus was and is teaching in this beatitude is that our showing mercy to others is evidence of receiving mercy ourselves and looking forward ultimately on the day of judgment to receive it. Our showing mercy to others is evidence that we ourselves have experienced this and live in this experience and therefore we can say because we have experienced mercy we evidence it by giving mercy to others. God does show us mercy now. He will show us mercy in the near future and will ultimately, because he has already given us this which we are experiencing. So what Jesus was and is teaching in this beatitude is that our showing mercy to others is evidence of receiving mercy from God. And also the assurance of our being blessed and being promised the reception of the sermon in future. In other words, being merciful, and I use natural in a guarded way, being merciful is the natural result of having received mercy yourself. Your disposition to forgive others, the willingness to forgive others, your inclination and your desire to forgive is as a result of your appreciating your being forgiven yourself. The outworking of your forgiveness is that when others ask you to forgive, you will forgive them. Because you know the beauty of forgiveness. Failure to show mercy is a serious pointer to whether we have actually received mercy and therefore places a huge question mark over expecting to receive it in future or to expect this blessing. The meaning is the same as that of Matthew 6, 14, 15. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive them their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins 
as well. The teaching of Jesus in this model prayer to the disciples is not that we merit forgiveness. We do not merit forgiveness. We do not work for forgiveness. Forgiveness is a gift of God to you and to me. We do not earn it because we've forgiven others, but rather that the evidence of our having received forgiveness is our willingness to forgive others. This is illustrated in the parable about the merciful servant. And we read that story, but I'll ask you to turn to Matthew 18 and notice how this whole truth is illustrated there. That your willingness to show mercy shows that you have received it, experienced it, and appreciated, and that must cause you to do the same. That any contrast response defeats the reality of your having experienced mercy. Matthew 18. Verse 21, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle account with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him, who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, just like we can't pay for our debts, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payments to be made. So the servant fell on his, knee, in him, on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. And the story, the Lord Jesus Christ would want us to see the contrast. We are forgiven Plenty. Like this servant, we not asked to forgive others to the same proportion. We, we can't do that. That is, we, we're not required of God to forgive as much. We will never forgive any to save them. That's what I mean. And no matter how we forgive them, if they are not saved, they will still remain unsaved. So we can't forgive to that degree. But notice this servant. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Ten thousand, one denarii. And seizing him, he is about to kill him. Pray, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. The exact thing he did to his master. Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until we should pay the debt. I've always asked how if he's in prison. When his fellow servants saw that it had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. 
Maybe we should report you to God. Then this master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that date because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had, should you not, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt which would not. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. What's the point of the illustration? This servant never appreciated the gift from his master. He was not responding as he should have been caused by the experience of the favor he received, the kindness he received, the good he was experiencing. When he met somebody who owed him less, he must have said, I understand what it feels. I know the beauty and have benefited from this gesture from the master. I am, because of my experience, moved as well to forgive you. The master says to him, should you not have done the same? You, you have experienced this. I did this for you. Shouldn't you, as evidence of that experience, done the same? Now that you refuse to live by that standard, Evidencing you do not need or you do not appreciate to live by my ethics and practices. I will consign you to what you think is right. Remember we said the Beatitudes are not a means to attaining salvation of evidence. But evidences of life that of Christ. A life of saved persons. A life of a disciple, a follower of Christ. We say that the Beatitudes are not a map showing us the way to be saved, but a mirror reflecting the character of those who are already saved. The illustration we consider here has several lessons for us. Just like in the model prayer, the Lord Jesus is basically saying, those who have received mercy, they evidence it by showing the same to others. Those who have been pardoned of their sins, they show their pardon by forgiving others. They show the picture of who they are. So that someone has said the Beatitudes are a portrait of who or what a genuine Christian is. We experience God's mess when we trust Christ, Ephesians 2, 4 to 7, and he gives us clean hearts, Acts 15, 9, and peace within Romans 5, 1. But having received his mercy, we then must share the same to those that we are relating to. There is nothing on which God, somebody has said, takes his stand as the active principle of his being in a world, being in the world of sin, than his mercy. There is nothing on which God more takes his stand as the active principle of his being in a world of sin than his mercy. The only possibility 
But the, the only thing that guarantees salvation to a single soul is that there is mercy in God. That he is rich in mercy. That there is no bound to his mercy. It's not only a question of forgiveness of sins, but of mercy in everything. The effect of mercy is not compromising holiness of God, but a larger and deeper standard of life as we show mercy. That's what Jesus is teaching. And that's what he's not teaching. He is not saying, when you show mercy, you've earned yourself a ticket to heaven. But rather what he's saying, that when you show mercy, it shows that you have received the ticket to heaven. But if you don't show it, you should not expect, you must not expect to receive it because you're simply demonstrating it is not there. Unless you do receive it, you cannot think you have it. There is nothing on which God makes, takes his stand than his mercy. If this is what the Lord Jesus was not teaching and was teaching, what is this mess which those who have received mercy and which they evidence by giving to others and they are promised a future blessing from? What is this mercy? Mercy, but what is the thrust of this beatitude? Before we tackle the issue of the thrust, please, even if you are not going through the waters of baptism next Sunday, you've been saved and for a while now. When people ask you, do not think salvation by works. How do you know you will go to heaven? Unfortunately, it doesn't matter how this is explained. It doesn't matter how simply it's explained. It doesn't matter how emphatically it's explained. Even after I'll have said it, when we go out and ask people, how do you know that you are saved? We still go back to works as a means of salvation. Here is what we say. How do you know that you are saved? Now, you know me, Pastor. Since you came to Ndola Baptist Church, you've observed the evening service. I'm always there. I'm a faithful guy. No, I just, I just love the Lord. I come for the evening service. Well, that's how you know you are saved? Because you come for the evening service? That's salvation by works. Oh, how do you know you are saved? Uh, baptized 20 years ago. We, we are seniors in the faith. You know, baptism. Uh, we just, the, the waters. You know, this baptist has seen great things. That's how you know? Salvation by works. How do you know you are saved? I put it this way when I say to people, if Jesus came today, those in the baptism class know, and this door is the demarcation between hell and heaven, and you knock on the door, and Jesus says, yes, who is there? How am I help you? And you say, well, this is Lama Lawrence. Yes, Mr. Lama, please. I would like to come in. And he says to me, just one reason. Mr. Lama, just one reason. Give me one reason why you must come in. Oh, you get all kinds of... I obeyed your commandments. Jesus says, no, you can't. You are not able. So help. 
And when I said to people like that, look at me and say, are you sure you're a pastor? I said to them, that's the reason I'm saying this. How do you know you come in? No, no, I go. Uh, brother, it's good to be a Baptist, uh, but it's even better to be a Christian. I am a Baptist. You know, you know us and baptism. Uh, somebody will say, water, water, water everywhere. Baptists. It's a nickname like Christianity, you know. We're just, it was the name of ridicule. But now we are proud. Baptist Jesus. I'm coming, won't I? Jesus says, sorry. That's not what qualifies you. What will make you come in? You know how I see. When I see people cry, just sing and they cry. Coming in. If you are like me, now you know. I mean, how can I be a pastor and not tell? You know us, Lord Jesus. We are ministers of the gospel. No, beloved, we are saved because of Christ. We are saved because of what Christ has done. By grace alone. By faith alone. It's by believing and repenting that Christ is able and can save, that he does forgive, that he's the only way to heaven. That's how we are saved. The other stuff, if they are going to come in, let them come as icings on the cake. But you only get to eat the cake when you say, Christ! So I say to those in the baptism, how do you know I said, because I, I said, okay, we, we're not moving well. Let's begin again. So how do you know you are saved? Well, because the church, no, let's stop just there. How do you know you are saved? Well, because the commandment, stop there. How do you know you are saved? Because me, no, can we start properly? How do you know you are saved? Because Christ. So Jesus is not saying your works save you. But he is saying, if you are saved, your works will demonstrate it. You will show mercy. So, beloved, do not simply be proud in profession. Simply because you can state your Christian testimony very nicely does not necessarily mean you are saved. There is a second question to be asked. What about your fruits? What about your lifestyle? What about your works? Are they proving that you are saved? So the second question then, what is the thrust of this beatitude in contrast to the previous four? Simple again, as it were, Shindaishali. Uh, that's English, just in case you're wondering what it is. <laughs> reinforcing, just, just reinforcing this truth. Uh, just Shindaishali. <laughs> what is the thrust of this beatitude in contrast to the previous four? Jesus having focused in the previous four beatitudes on the inner spiritual condition of the believer, here is how the first four read. Please, let's go to chapter 5. The first four beatitudes, here is how they read. And as we read this and the feast, you notice that the focus of emphasis by the Savior has moved. 
Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Inward. Inward situation. The inward state. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted inside. They grieve over their sin. They lament when they examine themselves. They discover they fall short of the glory. Blessed are the meek, inward disposition, which will show itself outwardly, but inside, inside situation. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst inside. You, you can't tell a person is hungry by looking unless they've been hungry for one week. But in verse 7, blessed are the merciful. Now you do not say, you know, I'm very merciful in the heart. You know, if you are just able to see, you can see how merciful I am to people. Now Jesus is saying, the first four are dealing with the inside of you. That's where we begin. We must begin there, but we do not stop there. So let's test your salvation. These characteristics of your belonging to me, how they actually work out in society. Let's look at some poor person and you there and your ability. Let's ask the question, do you demonstrate before this person to the world that you are actually a Christian by what you do? So Jesus having focused in the previous four Beatitudes on the inner spiritual condition of the believer, generally, in this one is focusing on one of the ways this inward reality is expressed outwardly. You say you've mourned over your sins and have gone to Christ in repentance and faith for salvation, that's great. You say you are meek and therefore you look to Christ to grant a blessing that comes with this heart situation. You say you are poor and your poverty leads you to Christ. Let's test this. Let's put you in a community. Let us put you in a family. Let's put you at Indola Baptist Church. There are less privileged people there. There are people who are struggling in life with many things. Will your faith show there? Will your faith show there? What the Lord is teaching us in many other portions of God's word is that yes, Christians begin in the inward person. But it does not end there. It goes beyond that. If it finds its expressions in the believer's relationship with others and attitudes to others, it most likely is genuine faith. In our context, every member of this church, and by that I mean the context of Undola Baptist Church, in the context of this church, every member of this church must be a member of the Mercy Ministries. That's who Christians are. Mercy Ministry is not just for seven people. It's not just for nine. It's for all of us. When there is a need, you do not say, where is Eodamwila? Uh, that's Mercy Ministries. But meanwhile, your pocket is full. 
You do not find somebody walking and you can tell they are terribly tired and their shoes are all about dusty and you say, Eodamwila, there is somebody who needs transport here but you're passing by them with your Mercedes. You do not go in a home and you clearly can see they didn't have lunch today. And all you do is let's pray together. But meanwhile you have 5,000 in your pocket. That's hypocrisy. That's not Christian practice. James would say to you, check your faith again. It's probably no better than that of the devil. It's dead. It's not there. In the context of Matthew 5, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. A person called Darrell Stout told the following story. One night, a cobbler dreamed that the next day Jesus coming to visit him. The shoemaker dreamed that Jesus was coming to visit him. The dream seemed so real that he got up very early the next morning and hurried to the woods where he gathered green boughs to decorate his shop for the arrival of so great a guest. He waited all morning, but with disappointment, his shop remained quiet, except for an old man who limped up to the door asking to come in for a few minutes of warmth. While the man was resting, the cobbler noticed that the old fellow's shoes were worn through. Touched, the cobbler took a new pair from his shelves and saw to it that the stranger was wearing them as he went on his way. Throughout the afternoon, the cobbler waited, but his only visitor was an elderly woman. He had seen her struggling under a heavy load of firewood and invited her too into his shop to eat. He saw to it that she had nourishing meal before she went on her way. As night began to fall, the cobbler heard a child crying outside his door. The child was lost and afraid. The cobbler went out, soothed the youngster's tears, and with the little hand in, with the little hand in his, took the child home. And when the day passed, the cobbler was very frustrated because Jesus didn't come. So he complained, I prepared for you. I did all I did, but you didn't come. And Jesus said to him, I came three times, but you didn't pay attention as you should have. But there is a post of the story that even though this cobbler didn't actually acknowledge or realize that this, this work, this actually is Christ visiting, he did show mercy. For some of us would have probably been worse. Would have said to the old woman and the old man and the baby, you are inconveniencing, I'm waiting for somebody more important. Is not this illustration the teaching of Jesus in Matthew 25, 31? I was hungry. You fed me. I did not have clothes provided. I was in prison. You visited. The question, 
When did we do this, Lord Jesus? When did we show these acts of mercy to you? And the answer is when you did these two these. Oh, he said to others, I was hungry, you did not. I was in prison, you didn't come. I was in difficulties, you were indifferent. They all asked the same question, Where did we not, when did we not do this? And the answer was, when you did not do this to these ones. In the context of Matthew 5, you didn't show mercy. You didn't show mercy. You didn't demonstrate that you are saved. You are indifferent. You live for you. And for you only. And you say you are a Christian? Are you? Are you sure? There are no people in need here. There are no people in need out there. Did God bless you simply for you? Not for others? Are you not bringing shame to the name of Christ to carry it and yet not live like he did? You're seeing of his mercies but you don't show them. Maybe you don't because you are not saved. Please come to Christ. And if you are, please live a Christian life. That's the thrust of the fifth beatitude. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Are you included in that blessing and that promise? It's not too late. To repent of your sin and mine, but even more importantly, to say to this merciful Savior, please save, please show mercy. Only then can you say, you'll be shown mercy.